Welcome to the Art Song Podcast. My name is Daniela Theresia, and I'm a mezzo-soprano, and I'm joined by my friend and pianist Suzanne Yeo for an episode of our Eternal Feminine series. This set of podcasts was inspired by my concert series called The Eternal Feminine, which expresses the feminine perspective through women's words and music. In the past, we've explored themes like love, relationships, motherhood, loss, and one's purpose in life. We've done this by performing pieces either based on female characters or pieces with a female composer or poet. For the Eternal Feminine podcast series, we've decided to focus on female composers and poets in order to bring these women into a modern context. Some of these women are not very well known, and we wanted to recognize them for their works, as well as bringing the art song genre to a larger audience. Today, we'll be discussing the piece Liebst du um Schönheit by Clara Schumann. And it just so happens that today, September 13th, is Clara Schumann's birthday. She was born in Leipzig in 1819 and died in Frankfurt in 1896. And both of her parents were professional musicians. Um, her famously domineering father, Friedrich Wieck, was a pianist and teacher, while her mother, Mariana, was an accomplished soprano, pianist, and teacher. So Mariana actually left Friedrich for his friend Adolf Bargil in 1824, and so Clara had very little contact with her between the ages of five and twenty. Um, she was the eldest of four surviving children. The oldest child had died just before she was born. And so as was customary at the time, Clara and the two oldest sons lived with their father after the divorce. Now you might remember in our last episode when we discussed Fanny Hensel, um, she struggled a lot with composing because her father and brother didn't approve of professional women. But Friedrich Wieck was the exact opposite. Um, he groomed Clara for a professional music career from a very young age and he taught her himself uh, in piano, violin, singing, and composition. To be honest, he was kind of a pushy stage father, very controlling. He certainly did give her a good musical education, even if probably not always for the right reasons. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, um, to give you an idea of, of what we mean by a controlling father, basically until she got married, Clara had this personal diary which her father would supervise all of the entries and sometimes he even wrote in it as if he were Clara and, you know, referring to himself as father said blah 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 or father did this today. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so he kind of, he goes even beyond pushy stage father. It's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's, an, it's another level. <laughs> I know. So at nine years old, Clara made her public concert debut in Leipzig, and I actually have a fun personal anecdote about that. Um, so a few years ago, I visited the Robert Schumann house um, while I was participating in the International Robert Schumann competition in Zwickau, Germany. 
Um, and this was the house that Robert Schumann grew up in, and his father had like a publishing house below. So as participants of the competition, we were kind of given carte blanche in the museum, and we saw all kinds of instruments that belonged to Robert and Clara Schumann, um, including the, this very piano that Friedrich Wieck had built for her debut. Oh, wow. And my sister was actually allowed to play on it, you know, provided she didn't move her feet from this little <laughs> square of carpet. <laughs> People wanted to be able to practice organ at home. So they invented a piano that has the pedals like an organ. So um, my sister and I did a little, I don't remember what we played, maybe like Alouette or something, but I did the pedals and then she played the piano. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cause you know, neither of us are organists. <laughs> but um, to get back to Clara, she turned out to be quite the prodigy and she was composing significant works by the time she was 13. And as a teenager, she toured in major centers of cultural life like Paris and Vienna to great acclaim. Yes, apparently at one of her concerts, she actually had to return to the stage 13 times because the audience was applauding so much. The Austrian emperor actually made a special exception for her and awarded her the prestigious title of Königliche Kaiserliche Kammervirtuosin, uh, or, or the Royal Imperial Chamber Virtuosa which was an unprecedented honor given that, you know, firstly, she wasn't Austrian she, and, and then she was only 18 and also was a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can see that even from an early age, she was a, a very talented musician. And then, you know, she would go on to marry the famous composer Robert Schumann in 1840. Um, and actually, Clara Schumann had been playing his music you know, before their marriage, during and after, that she was kind of a champion of his music. And actually, um, I think there is a piano concerto she she wrote when she was 14 or something like that. And he actually kind of helped her a bit with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And she also wrote one um, as a wedding present to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he met her when, when, when you know, he, he was a student of Wieck's. And at the time, she was just nine when they met. Um, he was about... He, he was nearly 10 years older. Of course, as we know from Byers and more than one movie about their early romance, uh, they had quite a few obstacles to surmount before they could get married, because Wieck was extremely opposed to the marriage, and Robert and Clara actually had to take him to court in order to get permission to marry. Mm-hmm. And it was a long and drawn-out process, as most court proceedings are. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a rough start to their relationship. They did all reconcile later when the grandchildren came along. But the relationship was never quite the same again. I mean, the relationship with Wieck was never quite the same again. Which probably wasn't surprising, considering all the histrionics he initially pulled after the wedding. Um, you know, he was sort of running around writing to people bad-mouthing the two of them mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and just sort of generally creating a lot of drama <laughs> yeah and i think they actually took him to court over over a slander as well and <laughs> sued him for all of the money that clara had earned from her you know concert tours when she was young right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was kind of hard to recover any kind of uh, i guess stable relationship <laughs> after that sort of behavior <laughs> As far as Clara and Robert were concerned, you know, the young couple seems to have gotten along well. Um, but the marriage also brought complications, mostly for Clara. Right. Um, and and it, it wasn't just because they ended up having eight kids. Mm -hmm. She miraculously managed to juggle with her concert career. I mean, you know, with domestic help, obviously. But right. still. 
Um, and then with his mental health issues and eventual premature death, that left her being a single parent at just 36. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, she still had to go on concert tours to pay the bills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this is the thing. She had been composing regularly since her teens um, for, for quite a while. There's like a certain number of compositions that she produced every year. But then that starts to change with the marriage. Um, and, and, you know, probably for practical reasons, because being married to another composer in a house that wasn't really built to accommodate the presence of not one, but two musicians, mm-hmm. um, you know, was tricky because she couldn't really compose while he was working. Um, I mean, she couldn't even practice while he was working. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, possibly that's why she didn't produce as much during her marriage because it, it wasn't about him not being supportive per se. He was actually quite supportive of her career and, and didn't have any issues with her composing. At one point, he actually even expressed his concern about how much music was going to be lost to the world because she was too busy with the demands of the household to compose. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, she did continue composing for a while after they got married, and, and sometimes they would even collaborate on things. Um, but after 1848, there's just nothing for a while until 1853, which is the year she met Brahms, and then suddenly <laughs> there was a ton of music. <laughs> yeah, there. you know, one wonders why. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, it it is worth pointing out that you know, even though Schumann was was supportive of her and obviously thought very highly of her as a musician, he did also, you know, sometimes give her conflicting messages that, you know, he would say, well, when we're married, you should take a year off. And, and she was so concerned with losing her status as a concert pianist. Right. And he would have to accompany her on tours and he felt, you know, kind of second string. And, right. <laughs> and so, right. so, yeah. There's that conflict, right, of, <laughs> mm-hmm. of having sort of, two people and yeah Mm -hmm. so after that it's just a few things here and there um you know mostly transcriptions of music by Schumann and Brahms Mm -hmm. and and also you know like many artists especially women artists Clara struggled with self-confidence and relied a lot on external approval so you know whether that came from her father or her audience or from her husband um, if she didn't have somebody, you know, namely Robert during their marriage, if they didn't dole out praise, then she didn't believe that she was worth anything as an artist. And um, Nancy B. Reich, who who wrote an excellent um, biography on Clara Schumann in 1985, um, and she actually helped to elevate her as an artist to the modern world um, versus just being a muse or Robert Schumann's wife, um, so Reich suggests that when Sch- when Schumann died, there wasn't anyone left to provide that kind of praise and support that Clara kind of desperately sought and which pushed her to create. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes sense. Of course, to be fair, when he died, um, she was also left to support the remaining children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we go even further down, when two of her adult children died, she also then had to take care of her grandchildren by them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's also possible that part of it was just that between all that and teaching and performing, life just kind of got in the way. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the piece that we're featuring today, Liebst du um Schönheit, is from her Opus 12, which is a set of Lieder um, set to text by the poet Friedrich Rückert. And she composed this in 1840, which, as we've mentioned, is the year when she turned 21 and she married Schumann. Right, and and of course, those of you who are Mahler fans may know both the poet 
and the poem from Mahler's much later set of Richard Lieder. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a somewhat philosophical poem where the speaker is addressing an unnamed would-be lover and saying, you know, if, if you love me for the wrong reasons, like beauty or youth or money, then don't bother. <laughs> right? But if, if you love for the sake of love, yes, please go ahead. I shall always love you. Um, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. <laughs> Um, but, but that's pretty much the gist of it, with every verse uh, being about one of these reasons. And for all but the last verse, a counter-suggestion for whom to love instead. So if beauty is what motivates your love, go love the sun, she has golden hair. If youth is what motivates your love, go love the spring, because she's young every year. And if money is what motivates your love, go love the mermaid, because she's got all these pearls. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's an interesting poem to um, to choose to set when you're about to be married. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, it, it's probably not entirely by coincidence either that Marla wrote his version in 1902, which was also in the year he got married. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, the unofficial wedding song. <laughs> <laughs> As you can imagine from the way the poem is set up, it's pretty much a strophic setting. All four verses start similarly. But the first and third evolve slightly differently from the second and fourth. Um, of course, the fourth is, you know, because that's about, like, true love. Mm-hmm. It, it's more emotionally infused than the rest. It, it's marked bewegter or more agitated before it sort of settles into this final ecstatic declaration of eternal love. Uh, it's almost as though the speaker, despite the conditional form of the last stanza, has more or less decided that, yes, the would-be lover does love them for love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, it's kind of a short and sweet little love song. So the version that we're playing today is yet another of our recorded in isolation pieces, uh, which means that Suzanne and I discussed um, the tempi and breaths, and then Suzanne recorded her part, and I recorded mine while listening to her recording. So we hope that you enjoy Clara Schumann's Liebst du um Schönheit. Thank you. 
it's really a beautiful setting and you know I especially love all the kind of twists and turns in the piano and also the way that she very cleverly modifies each verse slightly to create interest you know it's not that complicated of a melody but each time it comes around she kind of plays with the the rhythms a little bit just to make it interesting and I think it shows some maturity on her part as a composer and and definitely showcases her skill as a pianist. Right and and it's interesting to note that despite all these published works and her obvious skill, she did not really consider herself a composer. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite quite the opposite, in fact. At one point, she actually wrote something to the effect of, well, no woman has ever succeeded in composing. Why should I think that I can? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I mean, in a way, it's kind of sad because, you know, she was so talented. Yeah, it's a common story, I think, of, you know, Highly talented people also having, you know, being plagued with strangely low self-confidence. Right. We are very grateful that she did compose as much as she did. And um, Clara Schumann has kind of enjoyed a a, a bit of a renaissance in recent times. Um, Last year was her bicentennial. And so there were numerous concerts that showcased her amazing legacy. And if you'd like to learn more about Clara Schumann, please visit our website, artsong-podcast.com where you'll find a dedicated page to her under episodes. And this concludes another episode of our Eternal Feminine series here on the Art Song Podcast. I'm Daniela Theresia, and I've been speaking with Suzanne Yeo about Clara Schumann. So thank you, Suzanne. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. We post a new episode every other Saturday, except when we post them on Sundays. So if you enjoyed the Art Song Podcast, please remember to subscribe and to share with others. Snow, sun, sweet evening will go. Oh.